0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. It's time to rejoice, fellow Canadians. We have survived another winter. Almost everywhere in this beautiful country of ours, the temperatures are rising. The sun is shining. We did it! All that remains now is to dust off our porch chairs, unlock the cottage, pull out the patio furniture, relax and bask in the glorious spring weather. And summer is coming. So what could possibly spoil that? Right. Those f***ing things. Mosquitoes. The scourge of Canadian summers. And most of the methods that we have to control them involve pesticides, which aren't great. So it's worth asking, is there another way, a better way, to keep these incredibly annoying creatures under control? Oh, and also, when I say under control, does it have to mean keep to a reasonable, minimally annoying level? Or can we just try to exterminate them? Do we really need mosquitoes anyway? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Sean Prager is an assistant professor at the University of Saskatchewan, where he researches insect ecology. Hi, Sean. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm not looking forward
1: to mosquito season. Most people aren't, although mosquito season does bring other pleasant things, so,
0: you know. That's true. And we're going to talk mostly today about mosquitoes in big cities um, and specifically a new project in Edmonton. But maybe just to start in regards to mosquitoes in cities in general, how big a problem can they be to big cities if they're not
1: controlled in one way or another? It depends on the city. You know, geography is the big driver in many ways of whether or not you have problems with mosquitoes, Um, you know, because on their own, mosquitoes are not anything more than annoying right the reason a mosquito is a problem is because it's the vector of diseases and that really then depends on are you in a city in a location in which there's a disease about which you need to be concerned so in some cities more so than others well
0: speaking of that then uh from here where i am in toronto i remember you know probably more than a decade ago now for several consecutive summers uh west nile was huge news and a real concern what happened to West Nile? Did it leave our area? Did it did it go somewhere else? Did we figure out how to control it? Um, it just doesn't seem to obviously the last couple of years there's been a more important virus to talk about, but it, it seems to be largely relegated to the background in terms of mosquito-borne risks.
1: It's endemic now. Ah. When you're thinking of, and probably this would be say around when I started graduate school, when it first showed up, it was a um it was a new problem and it was only sort of recently found and you were finding people that were sick and people still get sick on some, with some frequency. I mean, it's not unheard of, but we now have better ways of monitoring it. We understand what it does. And we have more established ways of managing, managing it or mosquitoes. And, and we know to the extent to which we have to do so. So it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, every year in Ontario, there are cases of West Nile birds and horses and people. It's just that we don't make so much of a big deal about it. You kind of equated two things
0: there. When we talk about managing West Nile, are we really talking about managing mosquitoes or are there other aspects to it?
1: When you manage a vector-borne disease, with few exceptions, you're always managing the vector. And in fact, that applies to really sort of any vector-borne disease, whether it be something that affects humans or uh, livestock or plants um there's very ri- very few examples to date where you can do it otherwise and so you're always managing the mosquito
0: so how would a big city like edmonton or toronto typically before we get to the interesting program we're going to talk about typically control its mosquito population what is what has been the standard for that
1: uh, once upon a time the standard was to drive around with a truck spraying ddt but that's obviously been transitioned to driving around in trucks, driving, spraying other pesticides, and then now really to do none of that. So especially for things where we have a more developed understanding of what to do, we have tiered approaches. A lot of it involves the use of larvicides and monitoring. So a lot of it is monitoring so you, you can assess the relative risks of what you have. So are the mosquitoes in pools or birds or whatever transmitting a particular disease you have to worry about? Mm-hmm. And then A lot of it's cultural control and encouraging people to not keep water standing and all those sorts of things. And then, yeah, when we use larvicides, so we have different kinds of relatively soft materials, sort of BT toxins that we can put into water and stuff to kill the the larva of mosquitoes. And then it, it tends to ramp up from there where there are often or occasionally aerial applications of insecticides with helicopters and airplanes and things like that. But that's usually only if, you have a real problem and in fact that's why you see that more commonly in places like Texas or something where you have other mosquito problems but it's an array of tools a lot of which starts with relatively sort of active monitoring and and um low level preventative things
0: so from ddt to pesticides to now uh what sounds like you know some insecticides but much more targeted what have we learned about trying to control these populations through uh, spraying, whether that's from a truck or, or targeted from a helicopter?
1: I think we know that you can do it. I mean, once upon a time, again, and it depends on the it depends on the material. So DDT was very effective for killing mosquitoes. It just isn't particularly good for other reasons. Mm-hmm. We've moved on to other things, and and it's insects, especially mosquitoes. They develop resistance, and so we know that there's consequences of using these things and it's not always optimal and it's not that precise and and it can work but it's not the most effective thing it's a a last resort when you're sort of desperate i think in many cases so tell me what's
0: happened in edmonton then to change their approach and and as somebody who studies this why it interests you
1: Oh, what happened in Edmonton is that there's a seems to be a bit of a conflict where people have decided that the traditional approach that they had been using of sort of aerial applications of insecticides is maybe undesirable and that they want to move to things that are less crude, less use of insecticides, less spraying the countryside to try to limit mosquito populations and um perhaps less extreme, I guess, in, in some ways. And so the I guess the city council and various people have have, have pushed towards a more um, holistic approach to managing their mosquitoes. What does that holistic approach look like? Well, and, I mean, you know, it's funny. So, so I would say it looks like doing what a lot of ecologists and insect management people would say you should do anyway. It's you know, if you were doing this in other things, we would refer to it as, you know, integrated pest management, using the tools available to you, particularly sort of the ecological tools to reduce those insects that you don't want to to remove pests. And so it looks like using a whole array of tools rather than relying on insecticides. Um, And really, this is the approach that people have been taking in, say, agriculture, or at least been pushing for, for for 40 or 50 years. It's just a little bit less effective. Sometimes you're less likely to be adopted in sort of control of urban animal medical pests.
0: Explain a little bit more about how you can landscape or design public areas, urban areas, wildlife areas to help control a population of mosquitoes.
1: So it starts with the biology of a mosquito, and it's worth noting that I mean when we say a mosquito, there's you know, numerous mosquito species. So in North America, there's maybe 170-ish about. I can't remember the exact number. Uh, far fewer necessarily in Alberta, but there, there are many species. So it's, it's worth starting to say that, like, you know, while we say mosquito, we actually need many species of mosquito. Of those, of course, only several are ones that we particularly care about because many of them don't bite people. And ultimately, it's things that bite people that tend to be what we are interested in.
0: Right. So
1: having established that, nearly every mosquito species lays their eggs in or around water, and they basically all have an aquatic nymphal stage. That is, as as juveniles, so if you think back to your basic entomology, if you remember from, say, grade school, right, you you have an egg, and in this case, you have a a larvae. Larvae sort of like the caterpillar, but in this case, the larvae is sort of an aquatic thing that has a little siphon that sits at the top of the water, typically, and then they eventually emerge as an adult and the female adults go around biting people to get blood, which is a source of protein for them. So what that means is that if you have water of the appropriate quality for a given species, that might be standing water, running water, or mucky water, it depends on the particular insects, what they like. But basically if you have water that what they like and in many of the urban mosquito species, what they want is sort of standing water like we have in pools and ponds and Bird baths and things. Well, if you have that water, then you have a good place for these insects to lay their eggs. Landscape, so you have less of that water around or sort of moves in different ways, that alone reduces the breeding places for those insects. But then on top of that, there are many things that are aquatic predators. And so if you have things where not only is that water not standing quite the same way where these mosquitoes will come around and lay their eggs and, and develop, but also where there are things that will be eating those, those larvae of the mosquitoes, then you'll also reduce those numbers before they get out to be sort of adults. That's, that's the basic premise. And then within that, you can manipulate all sorts of things to make them move more easily or not as far or to, you know, induce them to lay their eggs in places that are farther from people and all those sorts of things.
0: What about the animals that Edmonton is trying to encourage, I guess, is maybe the best way to put it?
1: What are they using and and how are they expected to help? So mosquitoes, in in both their juvenile and their adult forms, um, are food for a lot of things. And of course, the one that we don't think about, or maybe we do think about a lot, of course, bats. So bats consume enormous amounts of insects in different cases, and mosquitoes in some, some cases are one of those. And so a great way of managing mosquitoes is to encourage bats because bats are excellent predators, um, or at least those species that eat mosquitoes. And so if you have more bats, you have more things eating mosquitoes and they will do that on their own. So you just need to sort of make more bats, which of course we do by adding sort of bat habitat, bat houses, bat boxes. And those bats will go around at night and they will eat all those mosquitoes and they will happily do it. And it's better for the bats, which are kind of nice to have around anyway, and reduce the mosquito population. So that's that's one thing you can do. And there are some birds or other species that also will eat um, mosquitoes. And then there are, of course, fish species that will eat the aquatic larvae of the mosquitoes. And there are other insect species that will eat the aquatic larvae of those mosquitoes, including actually, interestingly, enough, other mosquito species hmm. whose larvae will eat the larvae of sort of other species. And so all of those things will go around and they will just reduce the populations, right? They'll keep fewer insects around to begin with, and they'll do it just by going, of course, across their sort of natural life cycles.
0: Specifically bats and I guess dragonflies. If you're <laughs> the city, how do you make sure that uh, these creatures, I guess, end up where they're needed and that they seek out uh, the right prey? Um, this sounds like a stupid question as I say it, but uh, but how do you know that that's actually going to happen? <sighs>
1: Well, this gets to the individual biology of the individual organisms. Um, With bats, it's probably a little bit straightforward. You place bat boxes in those places that are near where the mosquitoes are likely to be or where you want them to remove the mosquitoes. And so the bats are going to live in the bat boxes, and they're going to go out looking for food. And like many things, if there's a lot of food sources nearby, the odds are, at least theory would say, that they're going to eat those mosquitoes nearby because why would you fly farther to find them? So... That's the simplest thing is you add bat boxes in the places that you want to either not have mosquitoes or where you think that the mosquitoes will be and the bats will consume them. So that one's in some ways, at least theoretically straightforward. The dragonfly is a little more complicated. Um, Dragonflies are also a organism that has this sort of metamorphosis where their adults are flying predators. um, And so they, they eat things, which they kind of pick off from the water and their juveniles. So their larval stage, is very voracious as an aquatic predator. So if you add those into the water because they are not going to move out of the water until they are adults, if you pick the right species, those that you know to consume mosquito larvae and you put them into the water where you want and you make sure that those conditions in the water are suitable for those juveniles, right? So not polluted, not too saline, whatever it is that they like, well then those, those larvae should go around in the water eating the mosquito larvae because they need food. Um, it, it's a little more complicated as adults. The adults can fly pretty well. And so they, I mean, it's possible that they would move to other locations, but similarly, if you have food sources, you're going to probably stick to where the food sources are. Ultimately, that's what it comes, a lot of it comes down to making sure that you sort of add them and then keep the conditions that they like so that they uh, stay put basically.
0: How do we know that this kind of environmental intervention won't uh, backfire, and the city of Edmonton gets to control the mosquitoes a little bit better? And then three, four, five years down the road, uh, everybody is at city council complaining about the overpopulation of bats and dragonflies in their backyards.
1: Um, how do we know that? Well, the good thing is that this is a little different than say the you know, like cane toads in Australia we're suggesting the, or or they're suggesting the placement of things that are already generally native to the area. And so we know this, or at least we can make a pretty good guess based on our fairly in-depth understanding of population biology. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to it, particularly aquatic ecology. People have been studying things like dragonfly larvae for decades. And so we have a fairly good idea of how they they act on some pretty specific levels. Um, And so there are things that would naturally be expected to be found in water. So in most places in which you have aquatic environments, we expect these organisms to be here. I mean, this is something that we know. And so we're not adding things that are unusual, and therefore we expect them to follow the sort of basic dynamics, which is that if the population of mosquitoes goes down, then the population of predators will follow because that is what ecological right theory and and and, and many 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 hundreds of studies have shown us happens which is that if you, you know if the number of prey go down the number of predators will go down with it and so we shouldn't have overpopulation of, of these organisms um makes sense because they're not invasive because they're they're going to follow what we would expect to happen
0: so Speaking of the numbers of prey going down, is the goal here? And I'm sure. Uh, well, I know I would love it. And I'm sure lots of people would to eliminate all mosquitoes in the city. I know um, Alberta has a whole thing with rats in that in that manner. But do we? Ac- I guess my question is just: Do we actually need mosquitoes? I know everybody hates them. Uh, what role do they play in the ecosystem?
1: You know, this is an so this is a really sort of a complicated question in a way, and and it has several layers. Um. If we step out from, from from Alberta and we just look at mosquitoes in general, people have thought about this a lot. And, and people have thought about this a lot partly because, again, while in our regions, mosquitoes are mostly annoying. they re- that's, that's primarily why we don't like them. Obviously, in other places, they are substantially more problematic than being annoying. And, of course, in parts of South America and certainly parts of Africa um, and Southeast Asia, places with malaria and dengue, right. you know, they're responsible for more deaths than any other animal. And so in those cases, there's a different equation. And so people want to eradicate them, or at least certain species, because you, you want to get rid of the risk of malaria and dengue. What we seem to believe is that they do serve a role in, in the ecosystem. And in some of those cases, it may not be that dramatic. So people have thought about different species. And in many cases, if you remove them completely, we would guess that other things would fill their niches. But but it's hard to know, and it's probably specific to each environment. All those things that we just talked about that eat mosquitoes, well, if you take away all the mosquitoes, they have nothing to eat. And so that's a problem. They right. may turn to eating other things, or they may themselves not have anything to eat. And that's not necessarily desirable. Some mosquitoes are pollinators. People don't think about it that way, but adult mosquitoes, even the females when they're not eating blood, eat nectar from plants. And so they are, they are the pollinators of certain things, although as far as I know, certainly not in North America, is there anything that's exclusively pollinated? Um, and so like lots of things, they have an ecological role. I mean, they they serve purposes um, in some way or another, or at least they, they have a role in the environment. You know, if you remove them, you get whatever happens when you remove something. And, and it's a little bit difficult to predict, but the general belief is that it wouldn't be, the world wouldn't come to a screeching halt. Like it wouldn't be in the environmental devastation if it were all gone. Right. But, in most places, at least in most places in Canada, they're not causing the kinds of trouble where I think it's warranted to try to eradicate them. Does that I'm not sure if I quite answered your questions?
0: It does. And I'm on, I'm honestly kind of fascinated by how you must feel as somebody who studies them when a jerk like me or anybody else is like, Can't we just kill all these things? Like, they're super annoying. Uh, <laughs> does that make you mad?
1: No, because cause cause someone who thinks about mosquitoes even part-time like I do, um, you know, you come to it from different reasons. And again, I, I think that they're annoying and, and people don't like being annoyed and they make you uncomfortable. But also I do think that many people understand that they are the cause of some severe illnesses in places. And so, you know, even those of us who think about mosquitoes carefully from from say an ecological perspective or from other perspectives, we are thinking about how you can get rid of them. But I think often we think about it Realizing that most places we want to get rid of them it's either we want to drive the numbers down to the point where they're not going to be problematic for people, but really what we want to do is it's a public health issue I think in most cases so right that's why there's millions perhaps even billions of dollars at this point spent on considering different ways of managing mosquitoes um because in many places they are a real problem and you would want to eradicate them and I think that that's that's the other half of this, of course, is that there isn't a certain sort of thing of an ethical decision at this to decide, right? Is what what is the value of the risk of, of environmental damage or or um you know things you don't like or, or whatever, relative to whatever considerations you have relative to the perceived benefits of getting rid of the mosquitoes. And I think if you were in some places, they would say it's a no-brainer that, you know, half a million people to a million people die of malaria. And so probably getting rid of the mosquitoes is worth to save a million people a year. Um, but to you know, not have mosquitoes bite you when you're on your back porch in Muskoka is maybe not the same thing.
0: That leads me to my last question. I really appreciate that answer. I'm just always fascinated um, by folks who spend such a great deal of time studying uh, creatures that, that other people don't frankly like. Um, but my last question, which is probably just a practical one for anyone who's listened uh, this far, you mentioned standing water uh, as something the city can do. What can people themselves, with backyards, Muskoka cottages, you mentioned porches, etc., uh, do to keep their own hyper-local mosquito populations under control?
1: Same thing. Same thing. You can you know you can get rid of standing water. You can go and buy larvicidal discs. They they call it Bacillus thuringiensis israelensis. It, it's a it's a sort of a bacterial derived what's a bacteria or bacterial derived toxin so it's essentially kind of biological control and you can throw them in the water it's just like what the cities do and it will kill the larvae of the mosquitoes and it's fairly specific so it shouldn't bother anything else so obviously those those things you can do to keep the mosquito numbers down you can try not to let your bird baths sit around you can have the water move all of those things obviously and then you know if you're really concerned about being Harassed by mosquitoes, you can sort of take kind of personal preventative actions, right? Deet works extraordinarily well, and it has for for decades, and we know this and so if you're particularly concerned about being bit by mosquitoes, you can use deet and there are several other now alternative um compounds we also know work uh, nearly as well that are also repellent so I mean those are good options. We now can in Canada buy at least some clothing that's been impregnated with compounds to make them. anti-insect anti-mosquito so you can wear those oh that's cool yeah so that's really cool and so so you can do that and you can walk around for hours and the mosquitoes probably will never come near you um they have a uh pyrethroid insecticide impregnated into them so it's kind of harmless to people but the mosquitoes really dislike it And, and then you know some of those some of those things that you can buy off the shelf do work and again often they have these pyrethroid insecticides in them so things like those deep wood off lanterns that have that, that have a, uh, something like pit or something, they work and they work pretty well. And if all you want to do is ha- sit outside for a few hours and not have the mosquitoes bite you, that's a perfectly reasonable approach to keeping them away from you for a while, you know, and then, and they're, and they're relatively limited damage because mostly they just repel the insects. And then it goes away when you stop burning it. Can I get a bat box? It sounds cool. You can get a bat box. Yeah. There are, there are several organizations that will, um, well, there's several organizations that will help you out with them locally in different places. And there's also instructions online, usually, for making bat boxes. They're pretty, stra- they're pretty straightforward. And they're cool. Yeah, they're, they're really neat. That's amazing. Thank you for all these tips.
0: Uh, thank you again for walking us through this. And uh, here's to a relatively mosquito-free summer. Thank you. You're very welcome. Sean Prager of the University of Saskatchewan. That was The Big Story. For more, head to TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Write to us. The email is hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. Find us on your smart speakers by asking them to play The Big Story Podcast. Find us in any podcast player you like. Just put us in the search bar. Scroll down. Subscribe. Favorite. Follow. Rate. Review. Anything they ask you to do. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We will talk tomorrow.